0: Why was Frank Vogel's contract not renewed? Does Larry Bird really know what he wants? What's in store for the Indiana Pacers going forward? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. I am extremely excited to bring on Candace Buckner, who is the Pacers reporter for the Indianapolis Star and as much of an insider as we are going to find anywhere. Candace, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, Coach Nick.
0: <laughs> Always a pleasure to interact with you. And... Um, It's not like we have a ton of things to talk about, but certainly one of them is the big news that dropped uh, late last week that Frank Vogel was not being renewed, not fired, but not being renewed. Um, All
1: semantics.
0: (laughs) Is it just semantics or is there something, is there a difference there?
1: Well, I feel like when you're kicked to the curb, whether you're fired or dismissed or not renewed, it's not a good thing, so...
0: Okay, that is true. Um, And so I guess the real question, and everybody was flooding my timeline, wanting to know sort of why, what this is about. Do I agree with it? And I thought, you know, I wanted to get your impression because you were there at the press conference uh, asking questions and kind of trying to dig a little deeper. Um, What did you feel about Larry Bird's, uh, you know, reasoning for fire, excuse me, for not renewing Frank (laughs) Vogel?
1: Right. Um, I I thought... His reasons were twofold. Of course, he he mentioned right off the bat and he stressed it throughout his press conference that he feels that the team needs a new voice, and um, I I believe right around three years is when he feels like a good coach even gets tuned out from from his team. So it's about Frank has been there for five years plus the interim, the um, the end of the 2011 season. So he's been um, you know roughly five and a half years. Larry feels that uh, it's time for uh, a new voice. The other reason, um, I, and I believe it's really played into all of this, style of play. Larry's been wanting to change the style of play uh, to a more up-tempo, uh, better space, better pace, score more points. And although the Pacers did score more points overall this season, it's just not enough for what he was, what he was wanting, especially when you end the season scoring 84 points in the playoffs which there's so much to talk about that um, and, and Larry's um, reasoning for a, that's just not enough, but he wants to change the system. He doesn't believe Frank Vogel is the coach to do that. Frank Vogel was dismissed or well, not, not picked up. By <laughs> okay.
0: Right. He, he was not renewed. So, I mean, now, and now that's interesting because obviously I would think that everybody would want to run and everybody would want to score points. It's not like you don't want to do that. Um, did you feel like that the loss in the first round to a much higher-seeded Raptors team was what doomed him, or was this something that was going to happen no matter what?
1: Absolutely uh, was going to happen inevitably. I, I even think if, they, if he would have gotten them to the second round, it would have been even more difficult to do this. But at the end of the day, you know Larry wants a different guy. And his guy at this point is not Frank Vogel, who is defensive-minded, very talented coach. However, and, and you know what? I just go back to the other point. It just, it does perplex me with the, you know, if you, he, he told our Greg Doyle, um, immediately after game seven, you know, if you would have told me we would have scored only 84 points. Well, it's the playoffs of all people, you know, Larry, legend, Hall of Famer, top 50 player should know that in the playoffs, in the postseason, things are slowed down and you don't get these. I mean, you look out to Golden State in Portland and they're just i mean they have Terry Stotts who was the offensive coordinator for the 2010 champion D- Dallas Mavericks and you have Steve Kerr and his uh Megatron out there but you look at Miami and Toronto and they're basically uh no you score first no you score no you score first you can't score that way in the playoffs and it just it's befuddling to me how that's a that's actually a point that Larry brought up that we're not scoring enough points, 84 points in Game 7? You, you Really? You kidding me?
0: Right. I mean, and we've seen Game 7s always go into like a grudge match. They're pushing, shoving. Well, no, I, everyone's nervous. So, I mean, I think that's clear. What you said was that it wasn't the fact that they lost Game 7. It wasn't the fact that they, you know, I mean, they got in the playoffs uh, and they probably, I think the, the overall year probably maybe wasn't as good as they expected
1: to some degree. True. But w- what were your ex- expectations? You what? have Paul George... Uh, and your big free agent pickup was Monte Ellis, who's 30 years old, who has two knee surgeries, who did not figure out his role until after the turn of the calendar. You have three big guys who were career backups in Jordan, Jan, uh, Jordan Hill, Yamahimi, Mahimi, and Lavoy Allen. And you have a teenager. And those are all your rotational big guys. So where are you finding this talent to score points, really?
0: Well, then that goes to the other point is, how many players have played for Coach Vogel for, for more than three years?
1: Exactly. Three. <laughs> and and George, is in, George Hill is in the uh, last year of his contract, so he may not be around. Um, really, he may not be around 2016, Jan is a free agent. I thought he made himself some money. And if they really do believe in Miles Turner, then why don't you turn the 20-year-old loose to be your starting center? and allow Jan to you know, get picked up on the free, free market. So you're basically dealing with Paul George, and that's all he's really known. He was, he was riding the bench under Jim O'Brien before mm-hmm. um, Vogel took over in the interim year. But yeah, it's not like I, I don't understand that rationale. Well, you have three guys, three guys who respected you. And um, f- from what I saw, I didn't see any friction between Paul George and Frank Vogel, Not none at all.
0: Right, and I and I know Paul George a little bit, and he is one of those guys who's a, you know a really good teammate and a guy who isn't going to undermine a coach, as far as I could tell. Uh, right. I mean, it it seems clear that Larry Bird didn't talk to the players at all and weigh their opinion, right?
1: Yeah, and he he brought that up in the locker room. Larry is very old school in uh, in the sense that this whole three year um three year theory he comes he came up with, you know, that was during his playing days in the early '80s. And he also, he brought up Red Auerbach, you know, when I was playing Red didn't ask me for my opinion. And, you know, when you're dropping, you know, Red Auerbach mentions in (laughs) in 2016, that shows you you're from a different era. And I would imagine that, you know, Paul being your max guy, being your franchise guy, two years remaining left on his contract before the option, you might want to consider him into some of your decisions. You might.
0: Yeah, I hear it. Now, here's the interesting thing is that uh, having observed uh, Coach Vogel for all these years and, and been around him a little bit, it seems I think he might actually be officially um, associated with the Positive Coaching Alliance. And <laughs> at the very least, when you watch him coach and hear him coach, he, he doesn't seem to be a screamer and a yeller. Um, you couldn't say that his teams weren't tough. Those were tough teams that were physically going to get into you. Right. So I wonder if that old school notion you're talking about, Larry Bird, um, really didn't fit well with, with this newer version of like what coaching, I, I think, needs to be now, which is, you know, isn't the yelling, screaming kind of thing. Um, w- was that an issue at all in the last several years?
1: Well, you know, that's interesting. I was not here during the Jim O'Brien era. Of course, that was before me. But from what I understand, one of the reasons— uh, of course, they they hadn't made the playoffs in four years. But one of the reasons, besides you know the uh, the lack of success on court, was that Jim O'Brien was a browbeater. Um, Roy Hibbert kind of shriveled up under him, underneath him, couldn't blossom, um, and he was yelling at the guys and getting on the guys, and that was one of the reasons why he let him go. And marching orders for Frank right off the bat was you know don't be don't be don't be that guy, uh, and, and so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, early, so Frank went totally opposite way, you know, lollipops and unicorns from that guy. Very positive. But I do believe after a while, Larry wanted maybe to see them held more accountable. And you would see during the games, um, for 41 of the games, um, I'm at Bankers Life and I'm courtside. When Frank got on guys, it was the three guys in, um, in um, referee uniforms. So I thought a lot of the times his frustration with what he was seeing on the court, he just took it out on the referees. I'm not in the huddles. I'm not seeing, uh, you know, if he is getting, you know, ripping the guys a new one. I'm not in the halftime, and I do understand at times he did, you know, there were some very colorful halftime, um, you know, <laughs> speeches from Frank, and and I don't think he's a shrinking violet or he was just, you know, oh, golly gee, let's just, you know, hug it out. I do think he got on some guys, but maybe not to the point or to the extent where – um Maybe Larry was accustomed to.
0: Right. And the the other question then is, is okay, fine. So he thinks uh, that that's going to get more out of the players in theory if you are sort of this 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 word accountable is really troubling to me and I, I feel like it's become this buzzword where it doesn't really mean much because of course they're going through film of course they're coaching these players and they're 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 asking them to do things um I mean I guess does Larry want him to like having to run, run suicides in practice is that what he's is that is there any other detail we can figure out about what he means about that
1: Maybe, and I'm I'm extrapolating here. I don't know what exactly he meant, but there are times when Monte Ellis, who was uh-huh. very turnover prone, um, turn turn the ball over in the fourth quarter, crunch time, still has the ball in his hand. The next play, the next possession. Okay, you want to trust your guys. I get that, but maybe take him out. Make make sure that okay. he knows that he can't he can't be that Cavalier. And that was the problem with the Pacers very early on with Paul and Monte just. Every cavalier at times when you would have to be on top of it sharp so yeah. maybe that's it
0: interesting and that is true okay so the accountability does probably lead to playing time which is also funny because you know if it's stars or the guys the higher highest play players in the team there always seems to be this other pressure from like guys like Larry Bird to play those guys because they are getting paid so much um, right. So I think it, it sounded like – something tells me that when Frank Vogel looks back on this maybe 10 years from now, he might be, like, happy that he got out of the situation because it maybe it sounded like had he, had he continued to stay, it would have been worse. Um, I, I was also very troubled by Larry Bird's comments, and maybe he just didn't think about it, what he was going to say before the, the press conference started. But when he started to describe the discussions and how he let Coach Vogel know – it did. It it rang. It was it was kind of uncomfortable. Was it like that in the room as well?
1: Are you talking about uh, with Frank asking? Yeah, uh, like well, Twitter, A, he yeah. told him on the phone, and then yeah, D, like
0: right. you know, and then just to fill in anybody who's listening doesn't know it, he, he mentioned something the fact that like Frank was, I don't think he said he was begging for his job, but certainly he right. was. You know, he, it just made it sound really uncomfortable to me listening to it later.
1: Yeah, I don't think um, when he was telling us that, oh, no, I didn't meet him in person, I just talked to him on the phone, I don't think he realized how bad that's, uh, that that came, that came across. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who's been your coach for five years and, nah, just talked to him on the phone. Uh, right, we don't right. have to meet face-to-face. And when Frank was saying on the phone, you know, can we meet face-to-face? Can you push back the press conference? Uh, by the way, this press conference was uh, announced on Tuesday. It was a Thursday press conference. It was announced on Tuesday. Oh. So it's interesting to me that, Probably by that point, Larry Bird had decided, "Okay, we're not bringing him back," and that's what I'm going to talk about. And so he waited till the morning of the press conference to call Frank and let him know he's not coming back.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. That's I- a,
1: that's a I- each moment. Like ah, why would you 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 come off as very callous? But I was there. There were times I wrote in my story. There were about three times where I felt like he was. He came close to choking up. Now, Larry Bird is not going to cry in front of us, but there were some times where I felt as much as, emo- as emotionally that he can get, he came close to it. So I know it wasn't an easy decision, but he comes across as very uh, callous. And telling some of those stories the way that he did.
0: Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, because it definitely—I I was listening to a YouTube on my car, so I couldn't see what he was looking like, but I, it did sound that way—that he almost was getting emotional, which again was so foreign to me when you're talking about Larry Bird. Um, so, <laughs> I, so yeah, I, you know, it's a weird thing because, by the way, uh, Frank had been there as a video coordinator for before that, or before he was a coach, right? He
1: was—he was, a, he was a Jim O'Brien's assistant. So by the time he came to Indiana, he was out of the video room and he was on the bench okay so 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 he's been around for a minute
0: Right, right. So it's like not just the five years of the coach. He had been there for years before as an assistant, as part of the you know the, the community. So, and exactly. that's listen. It's hard, you know. He Larry Bird's allowed to do whatever he wants to do for the betterment of the team, and you know there's no question. Like I would watch their their offense, and you know, okay, was it as clever as other people's offenses? You know, I suppose not. But then again, you know, would it have mattered with the the lineup that he had? It just you know it was it was a it was a bit of a of a weird. You know, I would have to imagine right the pieces didn't necessarily fit as well as you might would hope, I would say, right?
1: true, and not to not to completely just you know dump on this decision. um Larry Bird had reasons, and what you're mentioning it, well, one of the reasons. Um, Ty Lawson, I don't think we saw the full Ty Lawson I know he he basically got hurt five minutes into his first game. And was out for maybe a week, two weeks, something like that. So we didn't get to see the full Ty Lawson. Is that on the coach not using him right, or is that on Ty Lawson? They also he was also given, um, you know, Evan Turner. Evan Turner ended the year in 2013-14 on the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was given Chase Budinger. Budinger never truly understood his role before the Pacers got rid of him, and that's 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 true. By the time they they couldn't trade him, but by the time they had to waive him. You know, Chase was still confused as, what am I doing here? What do you want me to do? So that that does go on the coach. How do you use your guys? You may not have, you know, world beaters, but, you know, these are – I'm not going to pretend that these aren't the most talented basketball players in the world. Mm-hmm. And so what are you doing with them?
0: Right. And as I, as I, if I'm not mistaken, I, I had to check again, but I feel like they did – uh, improve their pace, or at least as far as transition goes. I feel like right didn't didn't they start fast breaking a lot more this
1: they year? They did, yeah. Uh, they they got out. They were a little bit more of the a gambling team on the perimeter and getting steals. And so they were they were um, one of the leaders in uh, you know points off turnovers, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't have all this stuff in front of me, but I know they were they were uh, exceptional. They would win games when they would win that category uh, mostly. And- uh,
0: and so so my I think the, I think the point where we're coming to as we amass all this information in one spot is that I don't think it was x's and O's. It doesn't really sound like oh right. I wanted to score more points whatever right Does it doesn't really feel like that was the issue
1: uh, I, I, well it, yeah, as i'm as I'm stuttering, and I guess it, I guess the the simple issue was you know Larry wanted a different guy yeah. And I don't want I don't want to, you know, uh, assume, but, you know, Frank was always Frank was the interim who kept winning. So how can you get rid of a guy who has has the locker room has the respect of the locker room and he's winning and he's each year he's taking you to a new level. How can you get rid of that guy?
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's really kind of frustratingly, you know, from a coach, I'm going to, you know, be sympathetic to the coach. It's just kind of frustrating that they're sort of waiting. Of course waiting. you are,
1: Coach Nick. <laughs>
0: they're, they're waiting for that moment. Oh, finally, we have a chance. We can just get rid of him. Um, and, and here we are. And it, it, I don't think it's, unfortunately, it's not that fair. Um, and as we, as we move forward here, you mentioned some of the, the way the, the, uh, the roster is now constructed. And by the way, I'm a huge Miles Turner fan. We did a breakdown of him in the, in the middle of the year. And I think that guy is going to be a terrific big man um, in that new version of what big men are. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have that. You have Paul George who's in the middle of his prime. Um, and so, you know, is there going to be even more upheaval, you think, with uh, going into next year with the roster?
1: I think um, I think there will. I'm not again. Yamahimi will be 30 years old, so I'm not 100 percent sure that he can expect a long term contract mm-hmm. out of the Pacers. From what I understand, they 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 do like him, um, but upheaval uh, if Larry, I'm not going to say if anymore, but Larry wants you know this this new style. So why don't you go out and get a legitimate point guard? Um, why don't you also look at a, a true stretch four? So that that starting five or maybe even the depth of the Pacers should look different next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Ty Lawson get a chance to be that point guard again. And then maybe, maybe you could move uh, George Hill or uh, if he comes back or not. Like, he would probably want to be the shooting guard anyway, right?
1: Right, right. And the Pacers know uh, he's on a very good contract, George Hill is, with, a, you know, uh, $8 million, I believe. So he's on a very good contract. But you know what you're going to get from him he's around Paul, around Monte, he's not going to be aggressive. He's going to be a spot-up shooter. But if you're okay with that and, and in the final year of his deal, you know, yeah, <laughs> turn him into a two-guard for your starting two-guard. And I don't know what you do with Monte at that point. Oh. But I do think they need a point – I think they need a legitimate point guard. Um, George Hill is a bit too safe, and that's, and that's not his role. He'll be the first one to tell you he's not a point guard. And uh, Monte's a bit too risky, and he's not a point guard. Right.
0: Well, here, I'm interviewing for the job now as for the Patriots coach. <laughs> and here's what I would pitch. I would say install Ty Lawson as a starter, and then you make Monte into that Jamal Crawford role and have him win sixth man of the year the next three years in a row. Um, and then you get but Miles Turner. you're paying
1: Turner. him $11 million. What's that? You're paying him $11 million.
0: To come off the bench. Eh, $11 million with a new contract, with a new uh, CBA. You know, the way, the way everyone makes it sound, that's, that's probably going to be a deal. It, by the way, if he gives you – I don't know, 16, 17 points off the bench, and, he, and you can limit the effect he has with the bad turnovers and maybe the bad shots. Then, heck, that's that might be a deal,
1: right? I like that. But what do you do with Rodney Stuckey? They're the same player.
0: Did you see? I mean, he Stuckey had a couple moments in the playoffs that really made me want to shake my head. Um, I, I, you know, is he that guy that's going to be uh, have a problem being the fourth guard off the bench or the second guard off the bench?
1: Um. As long as he's in the rotation, because he doesn't want to start. He does not want to start. Okay. So I, I think he's all right as long as he's getting rotational minutes. hmm
0: I, mean, uh, I mean— They
1: all say that until, you know, there's a problem.
0: Right. And, and, I, and I thought Jan Mahini did a very nice job. I don't know if there's going to be an upgrade out there that they could get, you know, that, that works for them. But, you know, he was fine. And then, you know, Paul George— uh, So, Paul George, the, the whole power forward experiment, I didn't keep my eye on it uh, hard, uh, enough— uh, did that end up fizzling out?
1: That he, that fizzled out basically in preseason. He oh. never played a minute at um, power forward. Wow. During that, the regular season.
0: Okay. See that that's too bad, and that could be the accountability too. I mean, I know you want to keep him happy, but uh, it there, it just seems to me that there's a lot of opportunities there, especially with where we're going, to actually get him. Because I mean, he is so ver- uh, versatile, and I think he could kind of front a low post player a little bit. I know it's a little, you know, you got to get a little physical, but um, I, I wish he wouldn't just sort of dismiss it. I feel like there's something there.
1: Well, I wonder if that's something that he, that Larry will say with the next coach, um, if he really is going to press, go back to last summer and press. Hey, I want Paul George playing some at the four, and the next coach will have to, will have to do it. But Paul George made it, made it known in the summer that you know I, I, I'm not a four. He made it known after the first preseason game when he faced Anthony Davis, and that would make anybody say, Hey, I'm not a four. Get me yeah. out of here. But, no, um, at that time they started, you know, experimenting with C.J. at the four. Mm-hmm. And so when the regular season unveiled, C.J. was your four. But, uh, I mean, I mean, if, if Larry is hell-bent on playing small, and he did say that was, that was his quote, <laughs> I like the small ball um, even now. So do you find a coach that is going to play Paul at the four, or do you go out and get a Ryan Anderson or a true stri- or? He? <laughs> or he? what stretch for.
0: I, I used to like Ryan Anderson, but the guy just can't stay healthy. And right. I'm not even sure he's as consistent as Shooter. And perhaps it's the health thing uh, as we think uh, at this point. So, um, and by the way, even if he did come and he, and he was the best version of himself, I don't know if that is what does it, right? Like that's, you know, it's a tough situation. And again, another reason why maybe Frank Vogel got to the point where, this roster is sort of untenable and they're not in the great like this, you know no offense but the market might not attract the, uh, like a huge name free agent and so right. you know it might have been a thing where they're gonna, they're going to sort of stuck in this weird uh, warp there where um you know maybe it's going to be good which then leads to the question you know is coach vocal going to get a job for next year do we do we have any feelings on that
1: well you look at the openings and you know, even when there were you know rumblings that you know Frank wasn't coming back, and I was thinking about this during the playoffs, I was like, well, he there's it's perfect out out there in Houston for him. He goes he goes back to Boston with Daryl Murray. I know he interviewed for that job back in 2011, uh, right before the Pacers removed the interim tag. So boom, you have um, you know if 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 Dwight comes back, you have your rim protector, you have a superstar scorer, so there will be no problems with offense. Uh, maybe. He could build the togetherness, and that was what he was big on here. He could build the t- togetherness down in Houston. So, boom, there he goes. And then Memphis opens up, and I'm like, you got your two bigs. Um, you got your smash mouth already in order. Um, you have the relationship again, uh, going back to Boston with Chris Wallace. So that is perfect. Small market. Um, you know, he's, he is a family man with two kids, two small children. All they've known. As uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, of course, that's a small market, so maybe fit in there. But I also thought New York was a wild card just because he's charismatic enough to deal with New York media. And he's already been under the thumb of a very domineering president, so he would be used to Jackson. (laughs)
0: Right. I, I had tweeted out the other day, I said... Uh, in Memphis, we've secretly replaced our Dave Yeager with Frank Vogel. Let's see if they notice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Because, yeah, that would be a very seamless transition. And I mean, it was funny because... Uh, obviously, you know, Jaeger had asked for permission to speak to teams like two or three years in a row or something crazy, which I think indicates that he already had the job with the Kings um, right. as, as he left. But, um, but I, I would say that, yeah, any of those places. I mean, I think the whole point when you're like, it's kind of like when you're an actor and you become hot. You know, you want to take all the roles because you're afraid you're never going to get another role again. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that with Coach Vogel, like he might want to be able to, you know, he, he doesn't want to lose connection with the nba for too long so
1: what worked for scott brooks and Uh, that's a great situation that he's in it is i I like i i like dc (laughs) i know they underachieved this year but i i really like it it's not just because i'm a st louis girl so i have to uh you know give a shout out to brad bill st louis boy boy. homeboy but i do like that backcourt i like uh, martian guard even though he's getting older i like porter um, I, I like a lot of things about that team. And maybe they were going through the same transformation as the Pacers, uh, kind of forced to go small, and they didn't really know or recognize or do well in their, their new identity. But I, I do like D.C.
0: Speaking of, um, of you know the three-year rule that Larry Bird instituted, it sounds like maybe Whitman <laughs> dealt with that <laughs> in reality. But I think they also had an issue. We need, we're going to do an article about it, I think, where uh, there was an inordinate amount of uh, players on their contract year. And, um, I think that GMs need to be a lot more careful with how they construct a roster because once right. you get three or four of those guys in the same team, it's, I, I don't know how any coach can manage that real easily. Um, short of maybe like Popovich or something, but, uh, and by the way, Popovich gets away with it because he plays all, all of his players all, a lot of minutes. Um, so, right. all right, well, this has been really sort of, uh, I- interesting uh, information here. And I think we've kind of you know, figured out a little bit more of what's going on with with Indiana. I don't want to ask you to speculate about you know who they want to hire or not. But that said, has there has there been any reports at least of who they want to bring into interview?
1: Um, no reports as far as you know set in stone who they come in to interview. But we um, we at the Star did you know toss out uh, some names. Uh, some are more <laughs> interesting than the others. Um, you know, Whitman, uh, Randy Whitman, formerly of DC, the Wizards, Mike Woodson. I'm not so. Sh- I would say I'm not so 100% sure if, you know, those are going to come to fruition, but the others that make sense would be Brian Shaw who was an associate head coach under Vogel before Denver, Mark Jackson, point guard under Bird uh on the Pacers teams, and um you know, a name that just keeps getting bandied about every now and then, Mike Dantoni, if you want to score more points, who would be better than, than Dantoni to uh, execute that. And of course, they they have Nate McMillan who is uh, Associate head coach currently, and of course, he coached Sonics, coached the Blazers, was on Team USA, so he has experience.
0: Uh, we, those are all interesting names. I mean, if you're bringing up Whitman and Woodson, are there any other Hoosiers you want to bring up? Maybe like, is <laughs> right. Bobby Knight available? Um, you know, but with all those names said, yeah. it, it, it seems to me that I bet you Mark Jackson is the guy that becomes a front, if Mark Jackson wants to get back into coaching. Someone tells me that that, I don't know, the connection between him and Bird and the way he is, is a little that old school uh, thing. The only issue is, is the scoring is, you know, did he hold the Warriors back with what he did on offense? And uh, right. would that be against what Larry wants? I don't know.
1: You hear, all, you read all those stories, you know, in the post-Mark Jackson era of how um, his offense was pretty rudimentary, right?
0: Uh, You know, a lot of ISO post-ups and they didn't kind of let, you know, Curry blossom like Curry did. So yeah, that's for for sure. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Hey, maybe he learned, you know, it's like with Byron Scott here in LA, we're always wondering like, when was the last time you think he ever went to like a coaching clinic? Like that, that's my question for a lot of the NBA coaches because there's so much new stuff. And when you have the players from that era, Uh, in the 80s and the 90s. And remember, when they played then, that means what they grew up with is from the 50s and the 60s. And that was very dogmatic of a time. So um, I, I wonder, you know, the interesting thing about Shaw and the triangle and then talking about where Vogel might go is that there was some triangle action. In fact, I need to go and, and dig it up because I was going to do a big breakdown on it um, where, we, where the Pacers had some triangle concepts based on what Shaw was, you know, there when he was a, as an assistant. So that seems to me that the Knicks would be an interesting place for him.
1: For Brian Shaw or no. for well for Brian Shaw a, for but Vogel for, for Vogel oh for Vogel yeah and again I go back to connections Frank Vogel's kind of been around forever and so he was a he was a Lakers scout for like a hot second wow. back in two thousand I'm not gonna say the year because I'm going to totally blow it out okay. so he only had like one conversation with Phil Jackson but again he has all these he has connections because he has been around never played in the league but this is one of the more uh, well-traveled, well, um, very knowledgeable guy. He's been around this this league for two decades.
0: Right, and I'm like six months older than him. You're making me feel like really old. <laughs> How can a guy like my age be so well-traveled? But he is, and, you know, I, well, Thibodeau's the same way too. He was, he, I think he started at like 22 or something crazy. So um, you start early enough, you get around, and uh, certainly you've friends. been getting around with all the information on the Pacers, uh, and uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on and breaking it down for us.
1: Well, I appreciate uh, you having me. Thanks uh, thanks so much. I would like to come back anytime.
0: That would be beautiful. We'll definitely have you on probably when they hire a new coach, and we can dissect that, um, and we'll see what's going on. So, again, thanks for coming on the show, and don't forget, sports fans, at p Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in?
1: Are you in, Candice? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should go like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it.